You want to hear from the Lord, and so let's hear from His Word. Dr. Raymond Barber, who travels the country and preaches now, he says, when we open the Bible, the Bible reveals to us the mind of God. And every time he gets up to preach, he'll say that. And then he'll say, let's see what God is thinking this morning in Matthew chapter number 4. All right? So let's see the mind of God this morning. Matthew chapter number 4. We're going to begin reading in verse number 12. Jesus is, Jesus is just at the point of beginning His earthly ministry. From the time He was uh, about 12 years old or so, we, we don't hear much about Him other than the fact that He grew in, uh, in grace and in strength and in stature and in favor with God and men. And that's really all that's written about His, his formative years, His teenage years and young adulthood. He's now about 30 years of age. And uh, he has come uh, walking uh, by the Jordan River, and his cousin is there, John the Baptist, who uh, is baptizing in the river. And uh, he comes to John to be baptized, and John looks up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus comes and he tells John, he says, I want to be baptized, and... Uh, so John baptizes him, and then he begins uh, a period of temptation. In chapter 4, we see that he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was there for 40 days, and he did not have food, and uh, was fasting. And then Satan came after 40 days and tempts him. And Jesus withstands those temptations. And by the way, I believe that's given to us in Scripture to show us that you and I can stand also. He's, a, he's an example to us that we can stand in the time of temptation. And uh, shortly after that, we, we pick up uh, after his temptation in the wilderness. In verse number 12, after Satan left him, the Bible says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison... Now this isn't the Apostle John, but John the Baptist that we're speaking of here. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Nephthalim by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness, I love this verse, saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Oh, when Jesus came on the scene. John chapter number 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He goes on to say regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and this one that was from the beginning. It says, In Him was light, and the light was the light of men. I was listening to the memorial service Brother Oates did for his wife, and he preached on that subject the light that God gives to each person. John, he tells in 1 John, he talks about the fact that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. 
I sat there listening to Brother Eddie share these things, and my heart began to just stir, and I thought, boy, what a wonderful thing. That this world that was lost in the darkness of sin, but the light of the world that was Jesus came on the scene. And here we find in verse number 13 and verse number 14, we get down to verse number 16, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. By the way, can I tell you this? We live in a world today that still is living in darkness. We still have a light, and the light is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this light can be shed to every man. You know, that's why I believe John said, when he was quoting the Lord Jesus Christ, or saying what the Lord Jesus Christ had mentioned, Jesus had made this statement, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And I believe the reason for that is because the Lord Jesus Christ is light. And you can't put a light in the middle of a dark room and the whole room not be able to see that light. You know, the greatest privilege you and I have is to take the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and lift Him up. In just a few chapters, in Matthew chapter number 5, He's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus makes this statement. He said, Ye are the light of the world. He wasn't speaking about us having our light. He was speaking of us having His light and shining it out to the whole world. You and I have the great joy and the great privilege to take the Word of God, the light of God's Word, and to shine it everywhere that we can. And so he says, They that had been in darkness, in verse 16, they which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. They don't have to die and go to hell anymore. They don't have to die in their sin. They don't have to die lost. They don't have to die not knowing. They can know the truth of God's love and God's forgiveness, God's redemption. From that time, verse number 17, Jesus began to preach. By the way, isn't it amazing that in the book of Romans, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And Paul, continuing to write in Romans, he says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear of Him in whom they have not... Uh, uh, um, I, got the, I can't quote it right now. Sorry about that. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The Bible says that He's chosen the foolishness of preaching. The world looks at it and says that it's the foolishness of preaching. But to us that are saved, we understand the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus, this light, comes into the world. The Bible says from that time on, He's beginning His earthly ministry here. He began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. These are not the upper echelon of society of that day. These were the more uh, blue-collar worker, if you will. Not as well-educated as someone like the Apostle Paul who was raised under the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel, who was probably one of the most learned men, one of the most uh, intelligent men of the day, and one of the great teachers of Paul's day. Paul was raised under him and tutored under him and learned from him. Peter and Andrew, not so much. They were fishermen. They worked with their hands. 
Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can I help you with something today? I've heard people say, Well, I just wish I could do more for the Lord. I'm just not that talented. Can I tell you this? God chooses those that He will to serve Him. And you don't have to have a whole lot of talent. God, God, will, God will enable you and cause you to be able to serve Him in a way that is pleasing to Him by empowering you and strengthening you. And I'll be real honest with you, the Bible teaches pretty clearly that usually God chooses the weak. God chooses the foolish things. He chooses the vessels that say, Lord, I can't. And He does that so that His might and His power and His strength can be shown through us. You say, where do you get that from? When Paul came to Christ and he said, I've got a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that is here and buffeting me, and he prayed three times for God to give him relief from it, and God responded, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he makes this statement, for my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. I've told our folks before here, I am one of the most introvertish people that I think I've ever met in my life. And I mean to the point where it was debilitating to me as a young man. I would freeze. I'm not, I'm not joking with you. I would freeze up if I met a stranger. I didn't want to move. I mean, literally. I, I sat, in a, I sat in, a, in a mall one time. My sister went into a store And you know how we are as men, you know, mom wouldn't let her go to the mall without uh, me to protect her and, you know, beat all the guys away from her and all that kind of thing. Amen, by the way, that's a good thing. And, uh, but I didn't want to go shopping, you know, come on, guys don't go shopping. We know what we want, we walk in, we get it, we go out. You know, shopping to us is buying what we need. Shopping to women is trying to find out what they need. And uh, so she went in a shop, and I went over and sat at the old man's bench. And um, a fellow came by. I was probably 16 or so at the time. A fellow came by and sat down at the end of the bench. And I froze. I mean, literally, I froze. I, I had crossed one of my legs. I had my ankle up on my knee and had crossed one of my legs up onto my knee and was sitting there. And after sitting there and literally not even able to move a muscle, my legs started falling asleep. And I mean, you all know what it is. You start getting cramps in it and the pain that's there. I endured that because I didn't want to move, probably for a good half hour. Finally, my sister came out of the store and said, Are you ready? I still didn't want to move because I was afraid this guy was going to see me that's sitting on the end of the bench. I got up to walk and my leg didn't work. It flopped lifeless. And I go walking away with the big duck foot trying to flop it out in front of me and keep from falling. And I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm trying to say, that's how introvertish I am. I struggle getting in front of people. I struggle talking to people. And God has to have a sense of humor. Because when I was 17 years old, He made it very clear to me that He wanted me to be a pastor and preach. I thought, Lord, you've got to be kidding. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. 
I'm glad that His strength is made perfect in weakness. And there might be some of you sitting here today saying, I can't serve God. I can't do that. Can I tell you, all He needs is a willing heart. He comes to Peter and Andrew, just simple fishermen. These people aren't theologians. They're not the... They're not the Pharisees of the day. They're not the religious leaders. They've not studied all of the things of Scripture. These are just simple fishermen. Jesus didn't go to the religious leaders, those that knew the law backwards and forwards and could recite it to you from memory. He went to a couple of fishermen. He calls them. He saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I want you to notice verse 20. I love this. The Bible says, And they straightway left their nets and followed Him. Now, if your livelihood depends upon your, your gear, I've got a, a nephew who does some commercial fishing. I've had some friends over the years down in South Florida that were commercial fishermen. And they would tell you that they spend a lot of time maintaining their gear because it's their livelihood. For men whose trade and their livelihood was fishing to leave their nets, I don't know if we understand the implications of that. These people were not moving lightly. They weren't carelessly or casually following the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a distinct change in them the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ called them as they surrendered and said, we're going to follow. And we left. the Bible says that they straightway left their nets and followed Him. By the way, I think it's a good thing that they left those nets behind. You know how many people I've seen that God has said, I want you to follow Me? And they try to drag their nets behind them, hold on to the things of their life. Could you imagine Peter and Andrew at the feeding of the 5,000. They have a basket. They're trying to walk between the crowds and they're dragging these nets behind them. Probably would have hindered them, wouldn't it, from serving the Lord? It's pretty amazing to me that the Bible says straightway, they left their nets and followed Him. And going on from thence, verse 21, He saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. Once again, just some simple fishermen. And he called them, and they noticed this word here. They what? Immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Can I help you with something here? There have been times in my life where God has spoken to my heart very clearly, very directly. There are times that not audibly but I knew a decision that needed to be made. And I have wrestled with it, and I have thought, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I don't want to make that decision yet. Any of you ever struggle like that besides me? I know I have in my life. There have been numerous times, and sad to say, I think there are so many times that we struggle with what God wants us to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of us 
when God puts those things upon our hearts, when we understand and know God's will for our life, immediately and straightway we do it. I wish I could have that kind of testimony. I sad to say, I look back in my life and far too often that's not been the case. Oh, I'm thankful there's times that it has been that way. Those are the times of the greatest joy. Brother Randy Casey, a number of years ago we were sitting here and he said, you know, I don't, I don't like the word surrender to God. I, I, he said, I, and I, I, my ears perked up. I thought, oh boy, don't we want to surrender to God? And he said, surrender gives the idea that there's a battle going on. And finally, when you realize you can't win, you finally give up and you surrender. He said, wouldn't it be far better if we could just yield our lives to the Lord? Just say, Lord, You have it. Whatever You have for my life. There is an invitation song that we used to sing all the time, Just as I am, without Thy plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Another one that tells the story that I surrender all. I surrender all. I'm reminded of the story of a man by the name of Ornan. Ornan lived on Mount Moriah, of all things, and uh, had a threshing floor. David had done a sin in Israel. He had numbered the nation of Israel. What that meant was he went through and counted all of the eligible men that could fight in battle. And God had told the kings and the people there, He had told them, said, Don't you number Israel. If you number Israel, you'll start thinking you can win battles or lose battles based on how much your might is. He said, I want you to depend on me for winning the battles. So they were not to count the number of men in their ranks. David goes out and he numbers Israel. And God came to him. He said, you've got three choices. He said, you can have three years of pestilence in the land. Or you can have three months of being overrun by your enemies. Or you can have three days of the hand of the Lord against you. David thought about that for a while, and certainly he had repented of it, but the, 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 the scars were there, and the price was to be paid. And so he chose three days at the hand of the Lord, and the, David's reasoning behind that was, he said, I know God to be a merciful God. And so God sends the angel of the Lord and begins to slay a lot of men in Israel. Thousands, tens of thousands of men in Israel were slain. The angel of the Lord, the Bible says, got to Jerusalem and God stops him and says it is enough. And David looks out over Jerusalem and he sees the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn, stretched out over the city of Jerusalem, hovering there. I don't know about you, but if I ever saw something like that, I'd be, I'd be falling on my face saying, Lord, please. David sees this. He goes up to the threshing floor of Ornan. He says, Ornan, I need to build an altar. He said, would you let me buy this land and let me buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord? And I love what Ornan said. He said, I want you to take it. He said, not only do you take my land and the threshing floor here, he said, you can even have the, the instruments that I use for the land to plow it, to till it, to build the altar, to make the fire, and you can even have the oxen I have to make the sacrifice. And the Bible records the words of Ornan as he says, I give it all. 
I love that. I wish that every one of us could live every moment saying to the Lord, I give it all. But the sad truth is, we're, we're kind of selfish about our life, aren't we? We like to hold on to some of it. And so usually our comment is, I give you some. And then we pat ourselves on the back thinking we've done God a favor. I give you some, Lord. There are some that are very spiritual among us that say, I give you most. We really pat ourselves on the back because we're not like those that give some. We give most. But I wonder what God could do if we were to leave our nets and our boats and our fathers our families, and say, Lord, I give it all. I give it all. D.L. Moody, who was a great preacher a little over a hundred years ago, saw thousands of people trust Christ as their Savior through His preaching and His ministry. Somebody told D.L. Moody one time, he said, the world has yet to see what a man fully yielded to God can do. D.L. Moody said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. He found a quiet place and got alone with the Lord. He yielded his life to Him. D.L. Moody is known today Because during the ministry that God gave him after those days, (coughs) it was great enough to shake two continents for the Lord. Great revival swept across the United States of America. Great revival swept through Europe because of the preaching, the ministry of D.L. Moody, who was a man who said, by God's grace, I'll be that man. That was a hundred years ago or so, a little over a hundred years ago. And I, I would tell you today that as much as the Moody was yielded to the Lord, the truth of the matter is the world has yet to see. Because I'm sure as yielded as D.L. Moody was for the Lord, I'm certain that there were, if he followed human nature, that there were still some things that he said, Lord, can't give you that part. I wonder what God could do out of someone here sitting in the in the pews of Keith the Heights Baptist Church in Festus, Missouri, of all places. I wonder what God could do with someone who would say, I give it all. I give it all. And not just say it, but to follow through with it. Jesus comes to these fellas and He sees James and John verse number 21, their father's mending their nets and he called them and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. If you will, turn with me to Luke chapter number 9 for a moment. Luke 
Luke chapter number 9, and we'll begin reading verse number 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. If we were to stop in Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, by the way, I see some of you still turning. Sorry about that. If we were to stop at the end of that verse, we would think, boy, this man is a great man who's yielding his life to God. I would look at a man that made a statement like this and say, this is a man who has given everything to the Lord. Lord, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. doesn't matter where you need me or when. My answer is yes. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? But he doesn't, he doesn't end there. After he said these words, the Bible says that Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He sold the fellow somewhat of the cost that he would have to pay if he were to, to do this, to make this kind of a commitment to him. We never hear another word from this man in verse number 58. Do you notice that? In fact, you never hear of him again in Scripture. What a sad commentary. We don't even hear of his denial or his rejection to follow the Lord. We just never hear of him again. How many times in my life, how many times in your life have we said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And then some of the cost of that begins to become apparent. We never hear of it again. Verse 59, And he said unto another, Follow me. Now this fellow, the Lord calls him just like he did the disciples in Matthew chapter number 4. This man, Jesus, tells him, He said, I want you to follow me, but... Notice this in verse 59, But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Notice the man doesn't say, I won't follow you. He just says, I've got some other important things to do first. Some of us are like the first man, willing, energetic, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And we see some of the burden and some of the weight of following him, what it's going to cost us, and we just never do it. Some of us feel like the Lord really wants me to do something. But I've got so much going on in my life right now. I've got so many things I've got to do. Things that are important. He said, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go down and preach the kingdom of God. And we never hear of the man again. Nowhere in Scripture do we see Him ever again. Another also said, Lord, I will follow Thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at my home, at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This young man came and said, I've seen what the other two have done. Lord, I'll follow you. I'll make that commitment to you. 
But I, I've got a few things I need to do. I want to go say goodbye to some folks. Let me take care of those few loose ends and, and then I'll follow you. We never hear of this fellow again. But we've heard of Peter, haven't we? We've heard of Andrew. We've heard of James. We've heard of John. We've seen their mighty works. We've heard of their miracles. We've heard of their preaching, their boldness, their service for the Lord. What's the difference? All of them were willing to follow God. But four of them were willing to follow God first and let everything else be secondary. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 33. He said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. He had told the folks in Matthew, 20, at Matthew chapter 6 that all the things that we tend to worry about, having a place to sleep, having things to wear, having things to eat. Jesus said, you know what, those are the things that you spend the majority of your time worried about. He said, what you need to do is seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things, all these temporal things, all the things that matter in life, they'll be added to you. God will take care of you. I'm not saying don't work. I'm not saying be lazy. I'm saying to seek the Lord first. Make Him the primary thing in our lives. And the question today is this. Do we give it all? You see, the three men in Luke chapter 9 were not unwilling to follow God. They just were unwilling to follow Him first. They were unwilling to say, Lord, I'll follow You. And it doesn't matter the cost. I'm willing to, to do it. I'm willing to lay aside things that are important to me. I'm willing to leave my nets and my boat and if need be, even my own Father, to follow You. I wonder what God could do with a Christian who would say, I give it all. I wonder what God could do with a church full of people that would say that. I give it all. I give it all. Well, Brother Greg, I'll ponder those things. I'll weigh them and I'll make a decision somewhere in the future. I'm thankful when God came to these disciples and He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says straightway, immediately. They left their nets, they left their boats, they left their father and they followed Him. I don't think it's good for a Christian or lost person, either one, to wrestle with God, to delay the decision, but that we straightway say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Absolutely. I'll make that decision for you. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word, what it teaches us, how it guides and directs our steps. Lord, may we be yielded. May we be will willing to follow You first. Above all else, may we seek 
the things of the Lord. Lord, it would be amazing if we could ever get to this point in our lives to see what You could do with us. To see the kind of, uh, kind of impact that that life could have on reaching others with the Gospel. Making a difference in other people's lives with regards to Your Word. So, Father, bless the invitation. Speak to hearts. Maybe there are some Christians today that, Lord, we know these things. These are, these are not new principles to us, not something we don't know. But from time to time, Lord, we need to be reminded. From time to time, we need to recommit some things that perhaps we've drawn away from. And so help us to make the decision that You would have us to today. If there's someone here that's lost and needs to know You as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would make that decision for You. Lord, may we straightway, may we immediately leave all that is dear and precious and say, yes, Lord, I'll follow You first. So bless the invitation. May Your Holy Spirit do His work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have just Miss Evelyn play through him. And if God's spoken to your heart and you'd like to come to the altar, the altars are here. If you want to pray in your seat, that's fine as well. But I would encourage you and urge you, if God has spoken to your heart, to do that decision today, to make it right. Do what God has led you to do. Would you come as Miss Evelyn plays?